so authentically me. Yeah. And before I can give that to anybody else, I have to give it to myself. I have to not even be comfortable, but I have to be willing to be present Mm -hmm. with seeing all of me. And in doing that, I take that back from the people who told me those kinds of things, right? Right. I take that back from the ethos that was just in the air in the school I breathed or in, you know, wherever we hear it from. Ignorance is bliss, but bliss, bliss is ignorant, right? Like there are days when I hurt so bad because of what I see. I wish I long for the days when I didn't see, Mm -hmm. but then I don't want to be ignorant. You're a high achiever. On paper and through the eyes of others, you've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is, you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you. I am you. So get your best hider's face on, sit down, and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over. But let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at karengoldfingerbaker.com. Allison Crow is back in the Trauma Hiders Club. Today, we are talking about, well, a whole lot. And eventually, we dig into Allison's gorgeous, meaningful, and useful inaugural masterpiece of a book, Unarmored. This conversation goes deep into who we are, how living a created and creative life opens us up to peace, surrender, and self-compassion and love. If you dig conversations between loving, supportive friends, imagine you're hanging out with us. We have room for you and our expansion is everywhere. Right here, right now in the Trauma Hiders Club. I have a question for you. I was thinking about books and I was thinking about my relationship with books, my relationship with writing. Mm. And I'm always curious about other people and their relationship with books and writing. But specifically, what I want to know is what is one of the first memorable books you read that like stuck with you? Mm hmm. Instantly, I go to the reenchantment of everyday life with Thomas More. He's a con- the contemporary Thomas More philosopher, teacher, spiritual dude. I first read it in my twenties, and he just talks about bringing enchantment. Like I don't know, there's a chapter on sports, and there's a chapter on home, and I have the original book I have. I have a second hardback. And for years, I used to give that book to everybody I knew. Way before like I got in the personal development world where that's a thing you did. But 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about that, but I want to tell you this because I almost like burst out laughing because were you to ask me that very same question, my most memorable book, you know, one of the first memorable books I ever read, I was five. (laughs) It certainly wasn't about spirituality and enchantment. However, those two. Yeah. Yeah. However, I have a hunch that the level of connection to that book, like the energy around it just might be the same. And I'll tell you the, the title of my book. I was five. It was the very first book I ever took out from the library. Mm -hmm. It's called the little crow. My guess is they don't even publish it anymore because it's one of those with like that weird watercolor art of Mm. like, you know, like people in their 50s with their weird cars and dress and like they go on picnics wearing very formal looking clothes. Mm -hmm. So my expectation, it's so funny, right? Like we believe our world is the same as everyone else's world. My expectation was like, you were going to tell me the Lorax or... (laughs) Or I don't know, something very like young and childlike, because that's that's what I had my head wrapped around. Well, let me give you a bonus one. Okay, let's go. I mean, I, you know, we have there's some kid books and stuff like that too, but it's funny because now like I think that's because the state I'm in and the conversations I've had, right? Like it just this is what the aroma in the room is. But as you're talking, like a couple of other random books hit, and one of them was the last picture show by Larry McMurtry. And I remember masturbating to Dwayne and Ruth having sex in Ah. the bed when I was a teenager. There you go. And you had a conservative upbringing, right? I had a conservative school. School, right. My mom and dad were kind of rebels. They were much more relaxed. But I just remember going back and then I would put it on, you know, my mom had this big, long thing of bookshelves. It was her book. And she always loved the Larry McMurtry books. I did too. And, but I remember I'd go put it back on and it was close to my room, but I I would just go straight that to that one section. And Dwayne is having an affair with, you know, he's a teenager and he's having an affair with an older woman. Right. And they're doing it on a squeaky bed. And then they pull all the quilts off onto the floor. And I don't know when I was 16 or 17, I just thought that was the sexiest thing in the world. And I used to masturbate to it. (laughs) All right. I'm hiding from trauma. <laughs> but let's make the people laugh immediately. That's right. We just went we just went the full circle there, right? Enchantment, spirituality, the little crow. The littlest crow. And let's just fuck on the floor. There we go. Yeah. I love it. That's great. What's the first book that made you cry? Where the red fern grows. Mm. Yeah. Sixth grade for me. Fifth or sixth grade. Fifth or sixth grade, yeah. Yeah. What was it for you? Dogs dying. I mean, I'm sure maybe Old Yeller did too, but I remember reading Old Yeller, but we saw Old Yeller a whole lot. Because we can't see enough of taking dogs out and shooting them. Literally these days, right? Like, Jesus fucking Christ. I know. I know. So, I, I mean, these days, if if they kill the dog in a movie, I absolutely, I just, no, that's a no for me. There is no good reason to do it. And nope. I get, you know, it's that's the other thing. It's one thing in these stories, this love and loss and 
all these dog books because as there's one laying on the floor in his hospice years too. And so I get that. But yeah, I, I remember Miss Proger was my sixth grade teacher at the Baptist school. And every day at lunch, we were supposed to have a 30 minute lunch, but the teachers would like give us like a three hour lunch and sit outside. And we would listen to this book after lunch, she would read. And I don't have a, I don't know if I cried externally, but I know I cried. Mm-hmm. And maybe I cried beforehand, but I probably blocked it all out. But that's the yeah. one that comes to mind now. Yeah, me too. I'm there with you. Allison, if you didn't feel your feels, could you be a writer? Not the kind of writer I want to be. There was a long time I didn't feel my feels and I did write. Like my thinky parts and brainy parts can write all day long mm-hmm. and they can write well. I'm prone to typos on the first draft because whatever, but yeah. Human. yeah, I've been a writer for, for a very long time, actually. And I remember um, in graduate school, actually, I wasn't in graduate school. I was in undergraduate school and I wanted to take this graduate writing class and I had to get special permission. And, you know, she would take us through different styles of writing, very curriculum style or whatever. And we would give her a tape and she would grade, give us a verbal, like, verbal feedback on our tapes. I still have the tape somewhere. I remember feeling really young in the class. And then I just remember her really affirming my ability to write for my age. And I also know that there's so much I was disassociated from. So I'm sure I I felt some things. Would I enjoy it as much? I don't know. And maybe that's part of the thing is that writing is the thing that helped me start to feel my feelings. Right. My, my therapist said to me yesterday, and we've been working together almost a year. And he was like, Allison, you like, I see all you do these things, you, you know, and he was not projecting. I don't know. He was making up and, you know, he, he said, this may not be all true. And he was like, you know, you do this every day. And I was like, hold on. Even before I wrote posts on social media every single day, I wrote in my journals, I wrote letters. Like I was, prof- I remember being in college and just pen pal writing and writing and writing and writing. And when I was a little kid, just writing poetry and it's, it's like, it has to come out of me. It does not feel like labor. Mm. I mean, there's some days it's like, Oh, this fucking sucks, but that's the creative process. But in general, that's how I move energy and thought through my body is through writing. And now it's become speaking and teaching and writing and art, but the writing has always been there. Hmm. Could you have written unarmored if you were less connected to all the parts of you and allowing all parts of you? Mm, absolutely not. And unarmored, I knew like when I bought that that book in the Boulder bookstore, um, The Reenchantment of Everyday Life and Sark's Succulent Wild Woman, Um, which I just bought her 25th edition. I knew that someday I would write books. Mm -hmm. And there's been a thousand topics and things I could write on. And even our book coach and publisher has come, right? A couple of times she's like, you know, this would make a really good, actually pretty easy book to write. Share your heart, show your work, right? This like, here's how to do marketing from your heart bullshit. And I had to become not before writing this book, but the writing of the book was like the final hill home, right? There was lots of hills and twists and turns along the way. It didn't start. I didn't sit down and say, I'm going to write a book about unarmored. 
And here's my, right? Like I really, in the, in the same way I teach my clients, babble your way to brilliance, especially because many of us are verbal processors, whether it's writing or talking and it needs to be witnessed. I witness myself in all my ramblings and slowly I began to see like right over my shoulder, oh shit, this is what's happening. And and Michelle Obama had written um, her book called Becoming. Oh, I was like, bitch stole my title, <laughs> right? Like, and I think I, a couple of years ago, I had an event called Becoming before her book came out, right? Like that was one of the themes already. And I'm 50, closer to 51 now than 52. And so they're, they're really has been this shift, right? That when you haven't hit it, you hear people talk about it and you cannot, I imagine it's the same way of, of having children. You cannot understand it until it happens to you. And that is not meant to separate you. It's just so nuanced. Mm -hmm. And so I do not show up in this book as the expert who has it all figured out at all. So no, I think what I had to do was like, okay, I'm in my process now. What happens if I put my pen down knowing that this will become a book? Yeah. I'm going to put it out there that I believe had you shown up as an expert, you could not write this gorgeous book that you've written. You couldn't. This is- I don't want to write a book well, as an yeah. expert. Right. I mean, but it's taken me, you know, however many years to exactly. say that, right? And there's a lot of parts of me that like, I haven't picked a niche and, you know, so-and-so has a PhD in this. And the thought of going to get a PhD in any, I love to learn. But first of all, a PhD is do goddamn slow for me. And right, really part of what this book is about is like, I'm so fucking tired of what I call the container store way of being. And listen, I, I, there's my, my husband can fold a sheet like a motherfucker. It is the sexiest thing that and mowing the yard is just, is so precise at you it. You mean and like I a folded love, sheet, like a fitted uh, yes, sheet? Yes, yes, yes. What? What sort of sorcery devil? I do think there is that? a sexy black man on TikTok that does there it is. with some better dance moves a little bit better than my husband. And my husband just does it very, you know, perfunctory. Yeah. And so the you know, like I, I live physically in a space and in a space with my husband that is more orderly than the chaos I grew up in. And I actually find this. So this is very reflective in the way I dress. I dress and have a very plain, I like solid colors. I like blue jeans and white t-shirts and solids. I have very large hair. I like large earrings, but I don't wear a lot of bling or flash or prints because my way of being mm. is the color. And so I like my surroundings to have some orderly so that I can be wild all the way to the edges. I don't want to have my soul be in the container store. My laundry closet, yes. And so if I had made myself be... I, I would never be in business if I had to become the expert who has her signature program. I mean, fuck me living. Yeah. Sorry. Not yeah. going to happen for me. Love it. And great for the people who are able to do it. Not me, not my personality, not my brain, not my strengths. Yeah. Yeah. I love the Eunice in not only what you've just said, but it's so clear in Unarmored. It is so oh. clear. There's so it's interesting because as I think about now, I'm two thirds of the way through the book and mm -hmm. I have not. Yeah, I've got like a hundred some odd 
100 pages or so to read. When I think about the book, I think that it has art on every page. Almost, not every single page. It doesn't. Well, on the edges it has art, but like I, I did, I didn't put an image with every single chapter. Right. There's something with every chapter, but I think what strikes me is the colorful you, the descriptor that you are, the personality. Like I am seeing color in what you're writing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's almost like every page is a watercolor and it's not. Even if there's no drawing on the page is what you're saying. Yes. I I sometimes forget the difference between art and drawing and that writing and my soul is art. It may not be a drawing or a painting Yeah, and it has color. Thank you. I received that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really proud of it. You know, you ever create something and you're like, Hey, I'm not sure. No, I'm sure. Yeah. I am going to be and am my own book's biggest fan. I am in love with her. Yeah, I am too. And I ha- and I want to acknowledge you. Now, I've known you for like, I think it's like four or five years. Definitely more over the last, let's say, year and a half. What I've seen is that this, the writing of Unarmored has taken this incredibly creative, powerful artist in all areas of life and just like added a layer of glow and Mm. like the word clarity comes up and I so don't even want to say that because it's an annoying fucking word but there's a there's a whole section called clarity but it is it right like it is I think that's the thing there's there's language that we've so overused and if I I use any kind of language in here I'm fucking taking it back and making it my own Good. Okay. So so I'll use clarity. Yeah. I think what it is, is there's a way that you show up in this book that is unapologetically you. That's it. That is Mm -hmm. no need to apologize. You are not apologizing. This is me. This is me in all of my brilliance, all of it. And it might not be for you. Oh, this book is not going to be for every people. Right. Right. So let me ask you this. How did you learn that words have power? The first thing that comes up is my father saying to me, stop that crying bullshit. Mm. Okay. So it's an experience that was verbal, maybe not written. Right. But the things people said to me that crushed me, that petrified me on the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I've never thought about it this way, but like going back to the writing that I used to do, like, I don't want to equate it with taking a bath because it's not about clean or dirty, but I I, need, I had to get it out. And so pen to paper, mm-hmm. just my sense of being after writing, mm. you know, for me, writing is what I call a nurturing practice. And I have a series of nurturing practices that help me remember who I am because we live in a world of forgetting. We live in a world where the air we breathe is absolutely structurally, systemically set up to help us forget, make us forget so that we buy more shit and can be controlled. And so writing helps me remember from it's taking my insides out instead of putting something from the outside in. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I'm going back to earlier in the conversation 
or maybe it was when I was reading. You may not have said this. <laughs> so excuse me. I might be conflating. For you, many, your household, parents, many kids, I imagine chaos. And we, did we say that or was that, did, am I bringing in the book already? I don't think we said that earlier. No, I'm sure. I'm, yeah, I don't know if you've gotten to it yet, but I mean, I did. I grew up in a lot of polarity, a lot of love, but a lot of verbal violence, a lot of like my parents were there physically more than most of my peers' parents were, but there was, I didn't know if it was going to be loving and I didn't know if it was going to be volatile. We were wealthy, but poor. And so I didn't know if we would have food or not. And then there was also physical chaos. Like we just lived in a mess. Mm -hmm. So would you say that writing helped you to sort through that chaos, find your own clean white page place that wasn't a mess, that wasn't a threat? Was writing that for you? I didn't know yeah. that I was in threat. I had no concept of that until like four years ago. Mm-hmm. That's just what it was. Yeah. So as you look back. As I look back, absolutely. It was something yeah. that gave me control and expression and autonomy. And that was mine. And that, I mean, I had a lot of thoughts and feelings, thoughts and feelings, thoughts and feelings. I'm I'm a thinker. I'm diagnosed at 50 with ADHD. And now all these things back then make sense. But right, women tend to be internally ADHD. So I don't remember what I was really like as a kid. Mm -hmm. I don't recall being chatty and extroverted. And I also don't recall being super shy. I'd be so curious to sit back and watch a week of me in the ups and downs of life and see... You know, because my parents could tell me, but even their viewpoint is going to be like, my mom and dad are always going to remember me in a very certain, practically perfect way. Mm -hmm. And I'd be so curious to watch little Allison. And I'd be so curious to watch her somatic responses to the world that she lived in. Yeah. I've been told the stories of, you know, how it was perceived as well. And as a trauma hider, I have like zero connection to the person that's been described because my internal experience is just make sure you show up in a way that nobody knows, right? That nobody knows you are damaged and broken and filthy and whatever else. Just keep with the smoke and mirrors. I really, I haven't, I, I only wish I've seen pictures, right? I've seen pictures. I'm trying to figure out like what is going on in her head there. And the only thing that comes to me is heartbreak. So I'd love to have like a movie or something. That would be pretty cool. Right. I yeah. Mean, there's, you know, right. Obviously a part that like wants to go and protect and rescue and all those things. But I, I would be curious. I've had some, and there's a, there's one chapter in the book. I can't, I don't remember where, but you know, with the IFS work I've done, I'm a lot more in touch with that little Allison. I'm a lot more present to what her experience was. And interesting, the little girl in me, wasn't trying to put a polished front together. In fact, I used to fight with my sister um, who was two years younger than me. I have an older half sister that, that was like everybody's favorite, but she didn't live with us. And then my younger sister, I just wanted her to love me so bad. And she was the little, one of the rebellious middle children. And I remember like 
I would pull myself off a pedestal on purpose to test her love. Mm. And we had a very volatile relationship. We're best friends now. But there was a sense I knew that she looked up to me, but I was like, if you see me as perfect and I disappointment, then I will be insignificant to you. So my core wounds are my writing. Let me see myself because nobody gave a shit to see me. I was invisible. I was irrelevant or if I wasn't good. So I did have some like behave this certain way, but my goodness was because I was taught by the church that I would be left behind Mm -hmm. or be, I remember seeing a movie, another right. Adults traumatizing kids with visual images at my elementary school of Lot's wife in the Bible you know, God says, Sodom and Gomorrah, don't turn around. And Lot's wife turns around. And in the movie, she turns to a pillar of salt because she disobeyed her husband and disobeyed God. And then she disintegrated. And so when I get to my deepest core wounds, it is literally about being invisible and disintegrating into Mm. nothing. (laughs) Isn't that incredible too, right? I mean, we could go off about religion and religious stories and Holy shit, those are traumatizing. Yeah. I mean, I got some trauma, trauma from mom and dad, but I have way, I have a lot and deeper trauma. I definitely have, you know, parent stuff, but my deeper trauma are from what the caregivers at my school. And I loved school Mm. and I loved learning. Yeah. Yeah. And you were a teacher. Yeah. I'm a teacher. I'm a learner. Like I just, I just, all those things. And so parent wise, it's like men leave. That's that aspect, but it's also left behind, right? Like both of your parents will leave you behind, right? It's so there is this rejection and invisibility are really big. My thing was God sees everything. Mm -hmm. That was so I don't know that it was used against me or it just scared the crap out of me. Hold on. If God sees everything, then God knows that I'm being molested by my grandfather. Well, what the fuck? Yeah. So now God is judging me. Mm -hmm. God sees me as the same filthy piece of shit that I see myself as. Oh, and by the way, if God sees this, why the fuck aren't you stopping it? Right. Well, right. Like our goodness and badness is threatened yeah. into us. Right. Yeah. And so this, I mean, whether it's religion or our caregivers, you know, you said something about the book, like so authentically me. Yeah. And before I can give that to anybody else, I have to give it to myself. I have to not even be comfortable, but I have to be willing to be present mm-hmm. with seeing all of me. And in doing that, I take that back from the people who told me those kinds of things, right? Right. I take that back from the ethos that was just in the air in the school I breathed or in, you know, wherever we hear it from. And I do, I'm in a place right now where I see systemic structures, you know, not as a victim, but like, oh, this is the scaffolding. Mm. And here's the 97 layers. And here's who's pulling the strings. And here's how... Right. I, I wrote a really profound tweet the other day. I don't do that very often, but I was like, ignorance is bliss, but bliss, bliss is ignorant. Right. Like there are days when I hurt so bad because of what I see. I wish I long for the days when I didn't see. Mm-hmm. But then that 
I don't want to be, I don't want to be ignorant. And for my system that has a hard time with intimacy and feeling, right? So I think through things when I can have, you know, like I know what do we really have certainty about, but I am able to approach intimacy when I have some information on the front porch and in the front yard, then my parts will open up and say, you've given us enough valid points, you know, and that's the thing. Unarmored is not about, let me just fling open my heart and lay it bare. It's not, you know, it's not no armor ever, but I am going from a completely protected from the neck down, wide open head, from the neck down, completely disassociated. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a slow, it's just as slow as the, the shutting off of it, right? That happened over years. And yeah, there's some incidences that were fast and quick, but there's others that are just like a little drip of way of being. Mm-hmm. So I want to read you something you wrote. Is that all right with you? Of course. Okay. You want freedom? Freedom isn't found in spontaneity or inspiration. It's cultivated through your habits and nourishing practices. It's compounded through boring practice. I love inspiration, but you can't build a sustainable life and career on dopamine hits. I, when I read that, I, I actually, I was in my office all by myself and I said, hallelujah, that, right? Like, You and I, here we are in this personal growth space where we are the, that this universe that we're in, and we don't have to be victims of it, but it's true. Reason versus fault. That's a chapter in the book. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Reason, right? Not fault. There's no blame. It just is. Yeah. It just is. And everything is so much is about moving your emotions aside moving aside what isn't sexy and doing the sexy stuff because the sexy stuff will create more stuff and that more stuff will create greater success and everything about that greater success will make you even, no, not even, even, will make you greater, right? And you, Alison Crow, have the brilliance to say fucking stop it. Mm-hmm. I say it every week to my clients. And it's interesting because I'm an Enneagram seven. Mm. Wow. So just in case yeah. listeners don't know, I know what that is, but talk about it. What is an Enneagram? Well, seven? and I'm not an Enneagram expert. And I told, I have a coach that is an Enneagram expert. And I was like, I'm Enneagram confused now. And she goes, what I see is a healthy seven. Mm. I didn't realize that Enneagram sevens were one of the three that are head led. So there's like head, heart, and body, right? But how I always associated Enneagram seven was like, always needs to have fun. Everything needs to be fun. Mm. For many years in my professional life as a coach, right? I've been coaching for 18 years and self-employed for 20 now. I was the positivity queen and Mm. I I just was happy, go lucky and fairies and happy and positive and change your thinking and change your mind and all these other things. And I was living in the extent of doing everything I could to avoid any discomfort. And then in my forties, I had burnout and hypothyroidism and Mm. I started sleeping 20 hours a day. 
And that kind of, I start and I had hired Chris Seidel who wrote the foreword. I was like, oh, I need to go paint with the old ladies in the woods. I didn't, I didn't need their business stuff. I didn't necessarily need the certification, but I didn't know what I was getting into. And what it was, was like, how do you, how do we drop all this, this realness down into our body? And if you had told me 10 years ago, I would be endorsing habits. I would have been like, yeah, go fuck yourself. You're joking. Right. Find your feel good flow and freeze. And and then I realize now, oh my God, of course people are selling ease. And of course law of attraction is selling what it is. And oh, everybody wants to manifest. Fuck your manifestation. It's hurting people. And I, you know, on one level, I do believe in this concept of manifestation, but there's so many nuanced things to take. It's not sit on the couch and that's right, draw a vision board and I'm going to get clients. And, and I see my clients suffer because they want it to be easy. And as Mark Silverman says in his book, Only Tens, like, Yes, it's like either a 10 or nothing, but you do a lot of one zeros, fives and sevens in service of a 10. That's right. And so what did click with me, because I couldn't be bothered to have habits or doing, you know, I just got to go with the flow, but going with the flow drained my body of all her life force. Mm -hmm. And now I know and say my nervous system is primary. So I used to say like, oh, my state of being is primary. No, my nervous system Mm -hmm. regulation is primary. Yes. And from there, from there, I can create anything I want, but it's, it's not like, oh, let me come in and go for a run and my nervous system is okay. For me, that requires certain habitual, boring Oh, I don't feel like painting today. Oh, I don't feel like writing today. Oh, I don't feel like running today. I don't have to do every single one of them every day. But if I don't, the shit hits the fan. Mm -hmm. And it's not the clients that work with us. And I think you work with a lot of business owners or corporate, you know, you work with people in professions. And so they're having these soulful conversations, but they're also bringing in the the reality of their work. And my clients, even though they come to me, they all say they come to me for business training or business to help me grow my business. They've been trained and conditioned to want it to be easy. And then they're frustrated that it's not easy or even with the IFS stuff, right? Like I get it. I'm like, I know it sounds really good up in your head, but you can run it through your head and you can have an insight all day long. But if you do not slow down and bring your physical presence, shaking and wobbly with 5% of self energy to the 95 and a half that is flooding you and acclimate. Like they're so quick to solve the problem. We talked about this yesterday. Like, oh, I'm going to solve the problem. I'm going to solve the problem. And I said, I cannot, you cannot solve the problem that you have in your marriage on this one hour call in a group session. And even if we were one-on-one, we cannot solve what's going on But what we can do is learn a new skill and do this really slow, boring work that will make everything else faster. Yes. Right. So this takes slow as fast to a whole new level because what happens in slow is all the preparation for the exacting confidence, clear fucking strategy. Because I'm a strategist, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's like, oh, you're so open hearted. No, my heart is fucking closed. I have to open it every goddamn day. And I'm a strategist. I can see the goddamn matrix and I'm not talking the red pill, blue pill, QAnon kind. I'm talking, I can see. 
That's a trauma response. That's not innate wisdom. That's right. Same (laughs) over here. Someone said, are you intuitive? And I was like, I used to think I was psychic. I'm just a survivor of trauma. That's exactly what it is. Exactly. I'm an empath. Well, I am so not an empath. Right. I am hypervigilant. I can read a fucking room because I have to. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I realized, you know, and for years I did build my business on dopamine hits and how it showed up was... I'd have a really big year and I'd rob Peter to pay Paul and I'd move around loans and then um, I'd get it all paid off. And then by the time I got it paid off, I would have a 40 to $50,000 tax bill. And this happened year after year after year. But when it started happening in my 40s, it was one thing for it to happen in my 30s. But when it happened in my 40s, I did not have the physical capacity. And so I made a decision and I sold my big house and I, I made a giant decision to downsize everything and to go very slow for three years. And that's when I built my membership. And mm. that is the hardest fucking, everybody's like, oh, build a membership because you do the math. No, this is slow, boring. And by the way, bitch slap because two people come in, one leaves. There's no such thing as getting five clients. You get five clients and four of them are going to walk out the door. And so it is an experiment in rejection because you don't have long contracts. And I looked up this summer which has been one of the most circumstantially most difficult, like just event after event after event with myself, my dogs, my parents having a heart attack, all these things that have happened. And I haven't sold anything in five months. I had like a blip where I was like, oh, I have a little energy. Let me sell my membership. So I did have like 24 hours where I posted something for sale, but I haven't posted anything for sale. I have not energetically enrolled or done any of that. And I look up and I'll be damned. Hmm. My brain is like, you need to create more, you need to create more. But that slow, habitual, no dopamine hit says, see all that boring shit you did? That kept my income absolutely like a salary. And yes, did I have people come and go, all that other stuff. But I look, I'm able to like sit here today and go, that my taxes are paid. Hell, my, my not only are my taxes paid, but when I sent my third quarter in, my tax guy said, you won't have to pay your fourth quarters. Just hold on to that money. Right. Like that. I don't have, um, I, I do have a little, I, I took out an EIDL loan. So I, I have that like in my savings account, but and that I'm not, I'm paying, you know, my business is running off cash that I make. Mm-hmm. My life is running off cash that I make when more, when like the last summer, hospital bills for myself and dog bills have kind of eaten up the slush that I would put into retirement, all that other stuff. And so, but it's interesting because I can see all these things that needed to happen that if I hadn't been low, slow, and boring, we have a, we have a barbecue place called slab, slow, low, and banging. But if I hadn't been low, slow, and boring, I would not be as fucking fabulous as I am. And I watch these people that are out there like, you know, doing the stereotypical thing. And I don't wish them any ill, but I know what's coming. Yeah, absolutely. No dopamine. So I choose my dopamine hits, right? Like that's what I tell my clients. I said, listen, your brain needs novelty. Don't let novelty be in your business. Be proactive. My husband's always like, why do you want to drive a different way home? So that I don't go buy the buy something from Amazon that I don't need. Mm-hmm. Looks at he doesn't make the connection. I'm like, no, you don't understand. If we drive the country way home, a new street that hits the novelty need of my brain, and then I don't need to go, oh, everything down and start all over again. 
Yeah, I love that. That's what a great strategy. I love that. Yeah. And I say it over and over and over to my clients because they've been conditioned for something different and they still, they're so cute. One of them sends me, you know, somebody sends them something on LinkedIn here. I can get you these, you know, for $11,000. And I'm like, listen, for way less than $11,000, I'm going to tell you to do boring stuff. And you're going to want to believe that because it's more exciting, but experiment, do whatever you want, but you're going to end up coming back to me saying, oh, so we're trying to create a culture, right? This is the book too, right? So it's not just about the business activities. We're trying to create a loving, compassionate culture of sacred willingness and intentional doing uncomfortable, boring, repetitive practices that work for anything you want it to work for. Without the bullshit. Yeah. Without the bullshit. No bullshit promises, right? Yeah. The, the, every every single person listening and you and I have like, oh, this is the thing that will change my business. And then $36,000 you're laying going, Jesus fucking Christ, I could teach this. That's right. Or like, I don't need that. Or, you know, and all those things, I come from the attitude of like, I learn and the only thing I ever need is to remember who I am. So the slow, boring practices, both my personal practices and my business practices. When you write every day and share it with the world, my therapist is like, that's hard. I was like, no, you don't understand, right? We talked about that a while ago. And I look up and I've been doing that since the first day that I was on, actually before social media, I did it with my email list, right? Mm. Like when I started working for myself, we just started getting email lists. And I did it with my email list. And on one weekend, I would share professional stuff. And on the other weekend, I would share personal stuff. I did that as a realtor, right? Like, And then it turned into social media, which I'm so grateful for. And most of those posts aren't about business. But what it did was lay down a, a brand awareness, you know, all those strategic layers, while also giving me a daily writing soul colonic. Yeah. And, and, and to be right. Okay, great. Allison, this is all about you. What does it matter for the rest of us? I'm trying to give other people permission. Yeah. They don't have to wait for it. Right? No, no, they certainly don't have to wait for it. But I just want to be, you know, I never had leaders that showed up as human fucking beings. They were in their pantyhose and their blazers, blazers, and in their container store acrylic packages. I would hear things, you know, I was pretty high up in leadership and my best friend's husband was the COO. So I would hear things, right? Like, oh, so-and-so had a heart attack and didn't tell their husband, right? And that would never, no one would ever know those things. And even at 32, I was like, well, I feel all this human stuff and I want to have some success, success. So I guess I'm just going to be somebody that shows them both and, and Authenticity was not popular. It was very frowned upon back then. But I'm like, I know I'm not the only person who has all this internal hyperactivity and struggle. We have a lot more language for it now than I did when I was 32 years old. And now I look up and I see the people around me. I see people that have left because they do not want to, it's too much for them. It's too negative or too hard or too difficult. But I look up at other people and they look over. That's the other thing. I was like, I'm not above anybody or beneath anybody. I'm just willing to put my toe in the water first and I will hold your hand. Let's go figure this out. That's the kind of leader I am. And they go, thank you for going first. I'm going to try to. Not for their audience, not for prestige, but 
for their own inner being. And that like, when they do that, then I'm like, oh, your business is fine. Oh, your marriage will be fine. Oh, your your parenting will be fine. If you can do this. That's a lot of words. I have a lot of words. I love that you do. Can you tell us about the wisdom of fire ants? Well, here in Texas, I don't know what kind of fire ants you have up there, but we have these little itty bitty tiny babies, right? They're different from like sugar ants that get in your kitchen. Fire ants, God, it's fire. They start crawling on you in mass and then they sting and it fucking hurts. And to get them off, you actually have to, you can't just like calmly get them off. Like you're hopping around like little jumping beans and whipping off your pants because they're crawling up your crotch. And I'm not big into movement, right? Like this whole body stuff is new. And I'm one of those people at a conference where they're like, dance or look at I am like, shoot me now. That's gross. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to that. I'm going to drink. I might go to like a spasmatic show on a Wednesday night and dance to 80s music. That that is about the only authentic place that I will do quote movement. Otherwise, it's really forced. And and so I there's a couple of experiment experiences in the book where in one week I had two completely separate fire ants things, and it was so correlated with a season of really allowing myself to have anger and allowing my angry parts to come out in, in helpful ways, right? Like it doesn't do me any good to say, fuck you to my husband in an argument, but my husband and I can drive out to the lake and we can both be gritchy and we can scream, fuck you to the sky. My life is garbage. And then the fire ants hit. And next thing you know, I'm having to not just yell, but I'm like doing the whole stomping dance. And and then afterwards it's like, oh, I didn't need to just verbally get it out. The fire ants told me that my body needed to pound and beat and slap and shake. Yeah. What I loved about it was you describe this movement, which I associate with right brain, left brain firing, right? If you're stomping. Mm -hmm. And so what you're doing is processing, Mm -hmm. right? You're processing your anger, your story, your emotion, your whatever is coming up. So I love like fire ants become little EMDR practitioners. Yeah, little (laughs) teachers. And I will tell you, this is totally random side note, but if you ever park on a fire ant mound and then they crawl up into your car and the next morning you find them, get them out with a leaf blower Mm. and then go to the car places where they have the air compressor, Mm -hmm. the tight air compressor, and then that will finish the job. Okay. Just let me solve some problems if that happens to anybody. Little hack right there. A little hack. I don't know if we have fire ants in Ohio. I imagine we do, but I can tell you at our place in the Florida Keys. Yeah. We definitely have fire yes. ants. And I yeah. have had I've never had them of- in my car in my whole life, but Mm-mm. that's a problem when you're driving and don't know it. Yeah. And then they're up your panties while you're on the curvy winding roads of Texas. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Shit. I love this. You write self-centered is considered self-leadership. I love that. And I'm going to read something you wrote. I will never abandon myself. I will never ghost myself. I will always be here for me. I will always love myself. I will always trust myself. I will affirm and adore myself. I will care for myself. I will validate myself. I will see and hear myself wholly. So yeah, you you wrote that. And 
my experience of you is you embody that. You that is who you are. And that's who you are for other people. And as most an days, right? Like you can have well, this sure. like, hi, I'm champion on top of the world and I have this. And really what it is is like I'm crawling on my hands and knees to change the cells in my bones and in my being to make that true because it is the undoing of all the places where I did reject myself. I did leave myself. You know, I, I realize that so much of my hurt in life was what I projected onto other people. Mm-hmm. You know, when we say self-centered, long before I knew about IFS and they call like your core self, they call it self-energy. Long before that, I would tell my clients this concept. I was like, think about it for a second. If you're centered in yourself, anybody in your orbit is going to get the best version of you. So why should I be centered around somebody else? It's not, it's actually the most loving thing you could do to be centered in yourself for other people. Mm-hmm. Right. So I would always say be self-centered. And then that, that just hit so perfectly when I found this, this practice and, and this way of the slightly alternative view. And when I go down to those fears and when that little one says, I'm afraid I'll disintegrate. Mm. I don't immediately tell her, I'll never leave you. I, I say, I believe you. Got that from Dr. Becky. It's the most brilliant thing I've ever heard my entire fucking life. I believe you. True. Mm-hmm. And right. I believe you. I'm so tired of us telling our fears they're not true. And when I first started IFS, I was like, you don't have to believe your fears. And then I was like, every single one of my fears is legitimate. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely true. It's a It's a real possibility. So I'm all on this you know, I would say fears are valid. And then I heard Dr. Becky say that she tells her kids when they say, I cut my, I don't want my, my grilled cheese cut in a triangle. She says, I believe you. You wish that your grilled cheese wasn't cut in a triangle. And I'm like, holy shit, every A, Allison zero through 50 needs to hear that about a hundred things. So I believe you, I'm here for you. And then, so that's all happening in the mind, but then I'm also dropping with intention and awareness and energy down in my body to be in an acclimated, to share the same breathing air, the same electromagnetic space, the same, to be with that part Mm -hmm. and not tell her you have to fix, you have to change, you have to do better. But when I notice that she, it's like when a kid starts, starts crying, you know, (laughs) But they're doing that. And then there's like, and when I hear that, I say, is there anything else? Is there anything you want me to see or no? And sometimes yes. And other times then I'm like, I will never leave you. Mm-hmm. You will never disintegrate in my eyes. You are all you, there's nothing you could do to evaporate in front of my eyes. Mm. I wish I could make that promise about other people. I can't. Yeah. And I will try to be around people who reciprocate who we see and who see us, but no matter what happens, because somebody has the right to change our mind. I will never change my mind. Mm-hmm. I will never leave you. And then mm-hmm. she's like, Oh, can I go play with the dogs and you can run your business now? Yeah. Right. Look at that. Is, would you say that's your, if we have our core biggest fear is yours, disintegration, leaving, being left and disintegrating our neck and neck. A lot mm-hmm. of it goes being, being left, 
And a lot of that comes like, I've noticed the theme of responsibility, right? Cause I had a heart attack. I have been stressed. So like I told my therapist the other day, I said, yeah, I'm, I am really proud that like, I've kept this substantial income, but in the past, if I had extra dog bills, then I would do a money project or I would sell something. And I have not had the capacity to fill the buffer zone. Mm-hmm. And, and I notice it's triggered some of these parts, which I was chuckling at. Cause I was like, good God, I used to not be able to pay my tax bill. And now I'm like, oh, you can't, you know, you've emptied your savings. Dude, you filled that sucker up, right? Like, right. So cognitively, it's not a problem. But I checked in with her yesterday, and she was. She was like, "If I drop the ball, I'll be left." Mm. And so it's even like, even if it gets to the layer of I'm just not enough, and then what will happen? I'll be left. I'll be disconnected. I will have my connection withdrawn from me. Somebody will say, which is what my husband did and some of my best friends have literally told me, I unchoose you. Mm. But I spent a lifetime unchoosing me to avoid that. And now I'm beginning of a lifetime. I choose me. I choose me. I choose me. I'm never leaving myself again and certainly not doing it on behalf of making somebody else fucking comfortable and go eat a dick. Yeah. And I say that with full self energy too, right? right? Like that's the other thing. Like I'm, I'm done trying to be nice. I'm trying, trying to be polite. There's a time and a place for it, but I was such a nice girl and people pleaser. Yeah. I might cuss, but I would never cuss at somebody. Fuck that shit. Go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. My biggest, my core fear mm-hmm. is being misunderstood. That's one of mine. Yeah. Yeah. But it goes back to after being misunderstood. So what happens after you're misunderstood? For that little one, if she's misunderstood and then what? Yeah, she's misunderstood. And then people will see that she's not lovable, Mm, that she's not worthy, right? That she's not wanted. And if she's not worthy and wanted and lovable, then what? Then what? Then she might disintegrate. I suppose I've never, yeah, I haven't dug that deep, I guess. Or I suppose for me, if if I were to, and I felt it as I was saying this, that she will be lonely. And having navigated from 10 years old on, I was surrounded by people and completely alone. And, and so I I wasn't sure if I was visible or invisible. Wasn't Mm -hmm. sure if I was, if I already had disintegrated, didn't know. Yeah. Um, It's interesting that working so hard to be understood all i was was misunderstood yeah absolutely right yeah but it is for me like it's is it the wound but i am particularly sensitive to being misunderstood it's one of my triggers because little allison is so innocent and benevolent i was talking with my sister about this the other day and she was like oh that made so much sense because courtney she was the rebel right Mm -hmm. like she was the rebel but I wasn't the rebel. And so when I, you know, I'm just running along little Allison innocence. And I said, it's like being clotheslined by a wire. It's one thing for me to go, I'm going to walk on this type rope and fall, which is my, was my sister's MO. She was like, fuck y'all. I'm going to walk on the type rope. And I'm just like, I'm going to skip through the fields. Yep. And there's the tightrope right there. So, right. Like there is a gaping wound. It doesn't cut me in half, but it literally rips me open. And then yeah. I'm just there 
emotionally bleeding and the wound is so big. I can't tuck it all back in and it takes the air out of me because little innocent Allison is being accused of malintent. Mm. And so her innocence is being questioned. Yep. And this is the other thing. I remember hearing it. I didn't see, I've never seen it in any books and I did hear it in my official certification training stuff. Um, at one point, Kay Gardner said, our parts are innocent or our exiles are innocent. Mm. I knew they were little. I knew they were wounded. They were also innocent. Yeah. Little Karen, you didn't do anything wrong. Right. And it's not little Karen, you behaved well. It's little Karen, anything and everything you did, you did nothing wrong. Right. Yeah. There's a difference there. There is a difference between yeah. you behaved well and you did nothing wrong. Yes. And, that's right? and I, what I'm trying to teach myself and people to live in is my people are not waking up murdering puppies. <laughs> I was going to make a bad political joke. Voting Republican <laughs> in general. My mom, you know, my, you know, that's a whole other story. Anyways, that was, that was a little like discomfort humor, but my people are not waking up with evil in them. Mm-hmm. And you've done, you're angry. You've done nothing wrong. What one of my clients said the other day, and she caught herself. She was like, I'm overwhelmed and that's not enlightened. And I'm like, honey, <laughs> oh, fuck enlightenment. Why the hell do we think we get to come to earth and escape being human? Right. And I did for years. Like, oh, I want to so, like now to me, spirituality, spirituality is like, how human can I be? How much yep. can I experience the full range of being human? This is the gift I was given. When I croak, my body croaks, my spirit will now move into alignment. I, that's taken care of. And so it just breaks my heart, especially in the personal development world, the way we shame, blame, guilt, mm-hmm. and judge ourselves. It's I call it the second. So I don't call it. I didn't admit that. Somebody calls it the second sword. Maybe Pema Chandron, and maybe she was quoting somebody, but it's like, we're already hurting. Right. We don't why need do you, Why do you walk up and tell yourself, oh my God, I'm not enlightened. So yeah, you're not supposed to be. You're a fucking human being. That's like, oh, hello, rain outside. You're horrible. No, right. I'm the weather. I'm neutral. <laughs> yeah. I just happen. I'm curious, Allison, as people read your book, or let's imagine they've read it, mm-hmm. they close it. The sun is sort of streaming into the room, but somewhat setting. And they're in their big comfy chair and someone walks in and they say, I just finished this book. And what do you imagine they'll say next? What do you want them to say next? I imagine there might be some, I don't know how to explain this to you, right? Because it's coming from a different place in the brain, but there might be a breath of relaxation of Mm -hmm. like, oh, there's a, there's a, there's other parts of me that are I I, I love me, mm. and I'm I've been pushing these parts away my whole life, and what if I didn't have to? Mm. What if I didn't? What if I didn't have to push all that away? And yeah, I would I would I would hope that maybe I don't expect them to jump up and run into the to the this way of being, but that they might for the first time see that it's an option to allow the spaciousness 
for more of who they really are to be wholly permissible and then loved. But to do that, we got to spend time with them. You cannot fall in love with anybody you haven't spent time with. So I, I hope they're like, oh my God, something might be able to begin from this place. Mm. And then I'm going to buy three copies for my friends and I'm going to read it again and again and again. And I'm Yeah. Gonna... Okay. Well, there's always that. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. As I was reading through it again, I did not finish it. So I didn't have the experience of finishing it. However, when I asked you the question, I came up with my own response. Hmm. And this is from my experience, which is, I imagine my husband walking into my office and I'm sitting in my comfy chair and I say, I just finished this book and I can come home. Mm-hmm. And for me, coming home means coming home to myself, to my own safety, to my own okayness, quiet, brilliance, whatever the mm-hmm. whatever is within this purpose here, this is all I need. Not to say I don't need or want my dog and my husband and my children, but this is all I need. This is the most reliable, safe, understood place. Non-negotiable. <laughs> Non-negotiable. Yeah. And in thinking that, not only is it does it make me somewhat raw, it's a beautiful invitation. And I'm incredibly proud of you for creating it. And so grateful that you did. So thank you. Thank you so much. And yours, what wonderful questions, wonderful questions. And I, I am so curious if you do finish it because the epilogue and the very last chapter were written, written after the heart attack, right? So like, the, and, and there's that Chris, I wasn't planning for that big finish. Okay. And so, and there's a lot of times I pick up books and I'm like, I got what I needed, got to go. But I am so curious because there is this human thing. And then I had the most human out of my control experience. Mm -hmm. And there's a way that it ties in actually with spirituality and the things that I used, the tools that I used to bypass for years. And so I'll be curious to, to see what your ending is your other ending is thank you yeah maybe it maybe it'll be the same i don't know but yeah i will finish this book absolutely and maybe we need a part two who knows i love this Yeah. yeah thank you thank you for being here you've been listening to the trauma hiders club podcast for more episodes head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to karengoldfingerbaker.com.